G'day and welcome to another Green and Gold Rugby podcast with Matt Rowley and uh, Scott Allen. Mate, how are you? Right, how are you, Matt? Very well, very well, thanks. Um, well, that happened, right? We managed to get that. We managed to get that equaliser, otherwise this whole thing would turn into a horrible dead rubber. And uh, what an absolute nail-biter it was again, eh? Yeah, and I might have been unavailable if we'd lost that game. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to talk about it if we lost the series? Well, it was it, a great game, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it, it was um, It was, fant- it was. I mean, it was, it was just fantastic from a test match point of view and the uh, kind of excitement, you know, to, to go like that seesawing along. I, it, watching it on replay, unfortunately, and we'll come to this, I'm sure there's kind of so many errors and so much pressure involved in it. It wasn't... I guess an advert to the game. If you're someone, I don't know if you're trying to convert someone from league or something, but I mean, I just you know, this the whole atmosphere of it. I was in a pub in Sydney, um, and it was just fantastic, wasn't it? It was just seesawing, and oh, who knew what was going to happen? Yeah, and look, as you say, it, it wasn't a, a real spectacle. One try late in the game, penalty goals, sort of dominating things, lots of scrum penalties, but it was a classic Test match yeah. where, you know. Teams just fighting, battling, refusing to give in, um, you know, and then the drama at the end, <laughs> where it could have all gone the other way. Yeah. So yeah, look, it, it was real, a real no, nail biter, wasn't it? Yeah, and I mean, the other bit was, I, again, for those of us who actually, you know, love rugby and the things that are different about it. I mean, you know, the story that went on in the set piece as well, um, which uh, we'll, t- we'll talk about in a minute. But, and I know you've got some analysis coming, which might tell. P- people that, you know, it wasn't exactly what you thought you were looking at. But, you know, to see an Australian scrum dominating and then seeming to get pinged back the other way and all these sorts of things, it was just, you know, we had our our um, kind of hand of God moment <laughs> towards yeah. the end there at another, another line out. Um, you know, just all those bits and pieces, you know, everything turned on the, on the smallest of things, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they call that the Harrison moment. Yeah. Uh, Luckily, Moen got away with the sneaky hand on the shoulder, <laughs> holding Palu down. Oh, no, Palu piling down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it wasn't until you looked at that closely, I actually picked it up. And oh, okay. fortunately, the, fortunately, the ref missed it. Oh, phew. Well, look, um, so look, let's, let's start from the top. Uh, 16-15 was the eventual score. Um, so, yeah, and uh, in that, like you say, there was only one try, and that was to the Wallabies with like, you know, five minutes to go or whatever it was. Um, you know what was I mean? We've talked about it. it was a, it was it was a sort of a tough game. Uh, you know how did the sort of game plans pan out? Um, you know wh- why did it end up such a tough tussle? Well, look, I thought you know until fifteen minutes to go, the Wallabies were you know behind and didn't look to me like they um, they were going to get the game. Mm. Having said that, the Lions didn't play well. Mm. Their their attack is well and truly off the boil, um, and they're obviously they're not getting go forward. So they're you know they're playing deep. Sexton's playing deep um, because they've got no go forward with their attack. They chose to kick the ball fifty percent of the time they had possession, mm. and you know overall that meant that the Wallabies ended up with if you look at the number of phases, the Wallabies had sixty two percent possession. So 
you know, if you look at the defence, the Lions had to make a or attempted 184 tackles. The Wallabies only attempted 85. Mm. And in that last 15 minutes, it showed that the Lions were just out on their feet. And all of a sudden, the Wallabies started punching holes in the line, getting in behind them. The Lions' defence wasn't realigning quickly enough, whereas all night it had been really fast and coming up strong. They just had to work so much because they didn't have the ball. They effectively ran out of puff. Mm. So you think that's what it was? It was their, their, the extra amount of work they had to do in defence which ended up kind of cooling themselves? Well, I don't think you can make 100 extra tackles mm. and not have it come back to bite you. Mm. Um, and as I said, by having only 38% possession, 38% possession, they just didn't have enough ball to attack with. And when they did attack, they looked inept. Mm. You know, So you know, we'll talk about later about what they need to do for the third game. But um, you know, that was my overall impression. Mm. But, you know, I have to say the Wallabies showed absolutely brilliant spirit mm. to keep hanging in there. Um, as I said, 15 minutes to go, I was thinking the Lions are going to get this. We just, we're not playing well enough. But they just kept fighting. It was fantastic. Yeah, I thought that second half, um, and like you say, you look at the run metres, uh, you know, it depends which numbers you're looking at. I'm looking at a set of numbers here that say 630 for the Wallabies and 240 for the Lions. Um, I, I thought the, the Wallabies actually played some, and, and it, none of it was, I guess, um, mind-blowing, although I thought as it got into that second half, they really started to bend the Lions line, and those, some of those inside balls really started to, to tell. And there was just, but we seemed to just knock on the like either, and we had what uh, twenty turnovers in the match, which is which is pretty huge. I remember um, we were, we talked about that at one stage with the Wallabies a couple of years back when it got really high, and it was around the nineteen twenty mark, and we were saying how how big that was. Um, but those, it was also the timing of those. They just seemed to be right when we were on attack. Um, all the knock ons, you know, there was a couple that Kane Douglas had. There was one that Steve Moore had. Um, you know, which we're right down in and around the 22 and we got through the advantage line. It was all hot on attack and it just seemed to sputter out. Um, but, and then finally, you know, we managed to get one that kind of, you know, held together and we got that one try. But it, it was amazing how many yards we were making through them by the end, wasn't it? Yeah, well, if you look at that, uh, just before the Wallabies chose to take the scrum rather than the points when they got that penalty, yeah. I think we're 10 minutes to go, you remember Stephen Moore makes a half break through the line? Yeah, it was brilliant, yeah. If you look at, you know, as that, that phase is unfolding, if you look at how disorganised the Lions' defence is, mm. there, was a, there was a breakdown on the right side of the field for the Wallabies and there were so many lines around that ruck that couldn't get across to where Moore was going to run to. So we had our front rowers being able to realign quickly into holes more than their, or better than their defence could. Yeah. And I thought... That one incident there just really started to confirm to me that, you know, they just couldn't keep up. Mm. Um, if you think about, you talked about the run metres there, and I mean, well, I've got some slightly different numbers, but very close. Yeah. But come back to the number of carries, 120 carries yeah. for the Wallabies and only 55 for the Lions. Yeah. So, look, we just kept running the ball at them. Uh, they kept kicking it back to us. Yes, we made a lot of errors. So if you look at the turnovers, 36% of the time we had the ball, we got turned over either through a handling mistake or at the breakdown. So we basically gave up more than a third of our possession. Um, and, and that, that, that's a, more a case of for the Wallabies what could have been. And unfortunately for me, that what could have been was dictated by the missing fly half again. Yeah. So 
you know, in terms of Jock, he was slightly better in the second half. And obviously, you know, the one time he played like a 10, Adam Ashley Cooper scored. But the reality is that with the Wallabies having 193 phases, he was only involved in 28 phases. Yeah. You know, so most of the time the ball's being kept narrow in the forwards. That's obviously a game plan thing. That's, mm. that's not Jock's fault for you know, not getting the ball. It was, it was clear game plan. But, you know, we talked about how much Leo Lafano would help him as a second receiver and Kirtley Beal. So we had three guys who could step in um, at first receiver. O'Connor got, got into first receiver 24 times, Beal 12 times, and Leo Lafano only once. Mm. So he was still doing the majority of work. Um, but I didn't think up until that last 10 minutes that you know, he was really directing the game. Yeah, it, the one thing that I kind of felt having on, on watching on replay, and I wonder, and, and, you know, you and I talked about this in the whole lead-up to uh, thinking that O'Connor was going to be chosen at 10 and why, was that, you know, he really seems to, where he did have his interactions, I mean, especially by my, my memory, it was um, especially towards the, 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 the beginning of the second half, was he was taking it to the he was taking it to the line so much, but just as a runner, um, and and really wasn't seeming to wanted to wanting to distribute or do anything um, too clever with it. And not that when he tried to do that, it, it worked that well. But they really started to use him. It was almost like an inside centre role. I felt um, where he was just there to kind of break or bend the line, and he seemed to be doing that more and more rather than trying to do anything else. And the, the only thing I wondered now whether that was him just going back to well, this is what I know without it going wrong. Or I wondered whether that's, you know, we talked about it the whole lead up that, you know, Deans is going to want to keep things pretty direct. Uh, I mean, do you think it's possible he's under orders with this? Yeah, well, as I say, the, the very fact that, you know, he was, wasn't getting the ball that much um, indicates that they're, they're playing a narrower game. With him, he's then in a position to be, you know, a support runner. Yeah. And you'll see that as the forwards are carrying the ball quite often, he's very close to the ball runner. So he's not playing a typical 10 role where he's looking to get back in position and run the next phase. He is actually being a runner. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine that that's, he's just done that on his own. No. I, you know, I think that's probably part of the game plan on the basis of, well, you go in as the support runner and Kirtley can hop in back at first receiver when you're not there. Mm. So, I mean, it's got some merit, but there are also times... And look, when Kirtley Bill went into first receiver... You know, he was he was poor as well. Mm. Between the two of them, we didn't really have somebody controlling the game. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's a case of what could have been. As we kept having all this possession, wearing the lines down, I think if we had, you know, somebody who plays 10 regularly, they would have started to uh, take even more advantage of those holes that opened up. Mm. No, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it seems to be, quite a strange kind of uh, structure they're running there. I mean, the, the other bit was, as far as, you know, how they're wanting to use a 10 role or not use a 10 um, at all. Um, because it kind of gets to a bigger question. It's, it's, an, it's an article that's been brewing for a while, but for me, in my head, but really capped off at the end of uh, Saturday night. And I, I guess the overall thing is a very positive message, which is, you know, wow, how the team played, you know, just with the dedication and... Uh, spirit and uh, resolve that they played with. Um, but the bit that I guess is starting to show for me is how that team doesn't need these, necessarily need these X-factor stars just to be there, 
Do you know what I mean? Um, it's not like the team is so deficient in, for some reason, maybe like it's been in the past. But I mean, it's, it's really stepped up and I can't help but feel that I'm not sure that, you know, in the past we thought, oh, you know, because we've got some holes elsewhere, we need these guys who can make crazy stuff happen to kind of uh, keep us in games or win games for us. And I'm actually looking at this team saying, I don't think so. I think we've got a team here who can do it. And in fact, if you just had some guys who could, you know, give you, I think Ewan McKenzie uses the phrase, budgetable performances, um, you know, where you know what they're going to do time and time again. You know, I think we could get there. So, and, and it's not like they're bad players, right? So, you know, I'm talking like, you know, the Adam Ashley Coopers of this world is probably a good example. Um, but that's making me... And then, like, you know, uh, Lelia Fano steps up, you know, has a perfectly decent night um, playing and then obviously slots his goals as well because, you know, he seems to be able to um, play under that pressure. And it made me think someone like a Matt Tamua, you know, who is a 10, who would come in you know, um, wouldn't be looking to do anything too extravagant, but just run a back line and let it do what it can do. You know, it's good enough now, is, is my feeling. Now, if Beal, you know, a Beal on fire or an O'Connor on fire, though I think we've only ever seen him from the wing be on fire, in my opinion, so far, um, that's all well and good. But if they're not, I don't think they have to be in the team anymore. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I agree. I mean, we've got the X Factor in Israel Folau. Yep. Let's hope we can keep him. Yeah. Um, we've got the consistent attack weapon, Adam Ashley Cooper, you know, who, if you give him the ball, he always gets over the game line and he runs lines like we saw him run for that try. Yeah. Um, we've got the world's best halfback who, you know, according to Stuart Barnes, and I, I'm not far off disagreeing, is the world's best player. Mm. So we've got plenty there. I think we're just missing that link. You know, Matt Tour, you could slot him straight into this side now for this weekend's game, and I think the Wallabies would be that much better because I don't think the Lions are playing well. Mm. I think the Wallabies could actually, you know, run away with it if they had a 10. Mm. Now, I think James O'Connor, that is his best position, but it will only be shown when he's played a full year of Super Rugby there at least, and he's actually had lots of time to, you know, get through all the nuances. Mm. Um, Right now, I think that's holding us back. You know, if you had that combination, Beal at fullback, maybe Jock on one wing because he's a good player, or, you know, you could have Tamani, he played well, he provided some X-factor on the weekend. You're right, we don't need, you know, the razzle-dazzle. Mm. We just need to put it all together and get it flowing. And and I don't think we're doing that at the moment. Yeah, because it seems to be the answer is we've got to have these X-factor players on the field. You know, what's the question? Um, and, you know, with Beal, I mean, I don't you know... He, to me, he just looked out of form. And, and, and both of them, to me, also looked like there's so much pressure on us now, partly self-made with some of the dumb stuff they've done, partly made because, you know, Deans has gone out on a limb and, and the AAU have gone out on a limb to make sure they get in. Um, you know, that they feel like they've got to create something all the time. And, you know, that's this part of the thing that I think you've observed as well with Beal, for example, is there's a lot of tucking the ball under the right arm and, and trying to make something happen when you've got a guy called Israel Folau outside of you in space if you just straighten and passed. Um, and the same with O'Connor, feeling, you know, he's got to, you know, beat um, 10 men all the time. And I, you know, I couldn't help but feel, and, and, you know, then the drop balls start happening and the, you know, kicks on the full or what, and all these sorts of things. You can't help but feel that, well, if there's somebody in there who just, you know, was just confident in the team and in themselves and just played within themselves, I think this team is good enough to do it. Um, and as well, you've said before, you know, I think this team, they've played the Lions down. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? What this Lions team looked as we went into that first test, I thought, God, these guys are unstoppable. You know, these guys are 20 feet tall. How's anyone going to beat them? 
And you look at them, as you said, by the end of Saturday night, and they were a rabble. Yeah. Well, look, I think the other thing that you can say about how well this team played, that's on the back of our forwards. Mm. We're actually developing a, a really good forward pack. I mean, I thought our tight five were outstanding on the weekend. Yeah. You know, they just kept working and working away. The back row was reasonable. Um, Palu, Palu did he did more work this week. Give him credit for that, but he wasn't very effective. Uh, Michael Hooper, you know, again he did a lot of work, but gee, he was he was actually ineffective mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know the impact he was having. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I did was to look at the whole back row and you know one measure how, what work they did in terms of tackling, running, and hitting breakdowns. Not not standing as a guard at a breakdown, but actually hitting them. Um, Hooper did the most work of the back row, mm-hmm. but and then I did every time they did something, you know, I rated it as a, you know, was it a negative? In other words, they went backwards or they had no impact or missed a tackle. Um, was it neutral? So they, they, you know, they made their tackle, but they didn't really dominate. Or did they do something that you know shifted a body or drove someone back? And look, I had Hooper at forty percent in terms of the positive things he did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, overall, 79% were either neutral or positive. So, I mean, that's not bad, but compare it to Moen. You know, I had him effective 91%, and his positives were 57%. Mm. So, you know, Moen, he did slightly less work than Hooper, but he's actually making an impact with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Palu, you know, I had him at 47% um, positive. So a little bit better. He's making more of an impact. You know, and a lot of that came from his carries, obviously, than Hooper, although Hooper was good with his carries. Yeah. Um, but he, he's just not doing the volume of work. Yeah. So, you know, I think, obviously, if we hadn't had the injuries um, and maybe if George Smith was there, that back row could improve. But it's hard to see much more improvement out of our starting tight five in terms of the work around the park. Mm-hmm. They were really good. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was amazed at how much work. So, I mean, the, the guy that amazed me the most. I thought he played well, but until you really looked at it, Stephen Moore, he topped the number of involvements, and I rated him with 60% positives, which is the best of any forward. Mm. So he's played the full 80 minutes, done more work than any back rower, um, and had the most positive impact in the the things he did, quite apart from his set-piece work. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but Robinson and Alexander were good as well. Douglas and Hall were, were also very good. Even Simmons was reasonable when he came on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's giving us a really good platform. Yeah, and I mean, and that's obvious that you know, and that, that's why you end up with a Lions team that's feeling as battered and as bruised at the end of a match. Um, you know, because you've, you've got to match them up front, um, which is great. And also, you know, thinking outside this Lions side, um, you know, with what we've got coming up uh, in the rugby championship, but um. Anyway, that's discussion for another time. Uh, okay, so they're the overall th- kind of uh, run of the game, I guess. We were starting to touch on players there. Uh, let's talk about some standouts. Uh, I thought on re- kind of re-looking at the match, I mean, the guys from the Wallabies uh, who, uh, and you've touched on a few of them there. I mean, there were so many people who had very good games. Um, I actually thought on, watching, on re-watching it, Adam Ashley Cooper, he had a fantastic game. Um, again, it, kind of like an understated, but just everything he does, his, you know, his defence, um, the kick return, the kick uh, ch- um, challenges, the kickoff challenges, restart challenges. Where's, that, where, great? where's that come from? <laughs> Since when did the Wallabies ever do that? 
<laughs> well, and it, you know, all credit to the whole team and the coaching staff. That's something they've worked on. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what we got back three. Yeah. Um, um, that's fantastic, and they're three crucial things. Mm. You know, after the Lions have just scored points to take the ball away from them, the kickoff. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, yeah, both. I think at least two of them ended up with knock-ons or, or muck-ups from our from our sides. But um, you know, to your point though, you're still down on their twenty-two with a scrum. Uh, so, you know, it's a lot better than being back up your end. Um, so, you know, I thought Ashley Cooper was great again. I thought yet again, I, I saw somebody, uh, I think it was a, a tweet um, from ABC Insiders where someone had posed a question of, you know, did this, did this game show Easy Falau was wasted or something? Um, and I just thought, actually, if, if you look through, and again, you look at his involvements, he's still always getting over the game line. Um, you know, always a threat as soon as he gets the ball in hand. Uh, yet no try, there's no two tries this week. There was only one in the whole match. But I thought yet again he looked really dangerous. He did. Ben, you know, also the Lions <laughs> got a blanket on top of him. Yeah. They, they know how dangerous he is. So he was heavily marked. They had changed their spacing in their defensive line to take away some of that um, space outside the wingers that we saw last week. Yeah. I mean, there was that one occasion in the second half where George North decided to, you know, go in and try and take the inside man, which gave Falau some space, and he made good metres. And, I mean, that was what set up that sort of final rush in the last 10 minutes for the Wallabies. So, mm. yeah, look, I agree. He was good. And, and as soon as uh, somebody manages to get a kick, um, you know, in, in, in space near, that, near the try line, I mean, you know, that one that Beal tried but, you know, went the wrong direction, I mean, it just, Falau just showed what he could do. I mean... He just, you know, over the top of George North, he just plucked it like there was a, a dwarf underneath him. Yeah, well, you, you think about that. If that was another 10 metres forward, yeah. he almost catches it, falls on the ground and scores a try, doesn't he? Well, he, in, in that case, he managed to, you know, get back up and make another five metres anyway. So, anyway, as, as, as a tactic, that's just waiting there for somebody. Um, I'd love to see us pull a, a, a try out of that. Um, who, who else? Um, in, in, I mean, you've talked about, obviously, Steve Moore. I mean, actually, it was interesting. We had a Twitter conversation with that, didn't we? Uh, uh, Laurie Fisher kind of uh, took uh, Hugh Cavill to task on his rating of um, Steve Moore. Um, and we were talking about that. I mean, I thought there was just one or two kind of very visible um, mistakes that, that uh, Squeak had, like a lot of other people, a lot of Wallabies. He wasn't alone in that. But, um, you know, which seemed to maybe uh, mask an underlying um, amazing effort that you described. Um, who else did you, did you think kind of stood out for the Wallabies? Well, as I said, the tight five. Yeah. I thought they were really good. Ben Robinson had another wow of a game. Mm. Um, you know, he, he was doing a lot of the defensive work. He was doing a lot of the work at the breakdown. It's interesting what, you know, we talked about on Twitter and we're talking about now with Stephen Moore that he dropped one ball, he gave away one penalty, and although the stats providers don't say it, he did miss one tackle. Mm. But, you know, come back to, say, Ben Moen, who everyone said, wow, what a fantastic game. He conceded four penalties. Yeah, yeah. He missed two tackles. Mm. So, you know, he's four times as many of the penalties and he's missed twice the number of tackles. Um, he ran the ball, you know, well when he, and when he got it. But, I mean, I thought Moore's carries in the second half were much better than Moen's. So it's just funny how people look at the match. But, mm. um, look, I, again, I think Moen was good. Will Genia, yeah, he... He's in really good form, mm. and he's running the show so well. Mm -hmm. um, he's driving everything, and because they're playing off nine so much, not playing off ten, he's involved all the time. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, when you look at how he set up that little, that more half break with 10 minutes to go, how he runs across the face of the tired Lions defender, our forwards, and then gives that ball to Moore into the hole. You know, it was fantastic. Yeah. No, he's, he's looking amazing. I think he's getting the, the plaudits he kind of deserves. Okay, so then looking on the Lions side, um, there was, I mean, especially at the beginning of the match, I thought their back row obviously came out um, really hard out of the blocks, didn't they? And uh, Warburton seemed to have a fantastic, a bit of a field day, him and Lydiot on the ground. Yeah, and they really targeted that. And, you know, obviously they're going to target it again this week. And to be honest... Up front, the Wallabies' back row was quite poor. Mm. They were very slow getting in there. And for the first 20 minutes, I thought we were on the back foot there. Mm. So that was a clear tactic. I mean, they obviously missed Paul O'Connell. Mm. I mean, Parling is a good line-out operator, but he doesn't, he doesn't have that presence around the field. Um, he certainly doesn't have the bulk. Um, I mean, I thought Ben Youngs, I thought he was terrible. Mm. Kept making wrong decisions. Uh, I don't know what he was doing. He was again. He was trying to milk something from the referee at the scrum. Just put the ball in. Yeah. Um, you know, messing around. So he got a free kick once, which led to a, an eventually a penalty. So the Wallabies scored points off. He fed another one, which hit Warburton's hand and bounced onto the Wallabies' side. Um, and he fed another one, where he waited for it to turn. And the referee by then had said to him a number of times, "Put it in. Put it in. Put it in." Mm. If he put it in and fed it deep into the second row, as every halfback does at the moment, that wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, I thought he caused a lot of trouble for the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, their centre pairing, I thought Davis was terrible, mm-hmm. and I think he's almost um, a clog in their back line. It's not functioning with him at 12. Mm-hmm. As a result, you saw nothing from Brian O'Driscoll. Yeah. Um, Again, really. You know, that's kind of that's two tests in a row. Yeah. Yeah, look, oh, and look, they were running into each other in the first test. Mm. This time there was a pass where O'Driscoll, you know, wanted Davis to do one thing and he did another and uh, Falau intercepted it. Mm. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's just broken down completely. And I think that's the Lions' game plan was built around, you know, somebody taking the ball forward like a Roberts, get it over the gain line, and then they could play their, their patterns. Yeah. We're not seeing any of their pattern. Mm. Haven't seen it. And the last time we saw it, the Waratahs. Yeah. And guess who started for them that night at 12? It was Roberts. Yeah. So they're showing themselves to be pretty one-dimensional that when that central plank of their game is not available, they're not threatening. Well, and, and I guess that whole thing as well is, you know, if, if they're not going forward and they can't do that, then they just don't want the ball, you know. So, and, and that's what, you know, that's when it gets, you know, hoofed, uh, hoofed downfield. Yeah. Well, I mean, you heard Marto on the coverage criticising how deep Jock was standing. Mm-hmm. Have a look on the other side. The red fly half was standing even deeper than Jock was because yeah. all he was doing was saying, give me the ball here, I'm going to kick it downfield. Yeah. Um, so we were just talking about the breakdown there. Uh, it was pre- I thought it was interesting. How, what did you make of Craig Joubert's, uh, some of his uh, refereeing interpretations? I mean, obviously there's a lot of contention all around the place because uh, there's, you know, uh, the, the scrum as well. And I know you've got some pretty deep analysis coming through, which is going to be fascinating, which... You know, we probably shouldn't preempt on this, but um, I thought he, I thought he had some interesting stuff. For example, at the breakdowns, um, I'm not so I don't think it was necessarily wrong. I just think it was more. For example, his first few penalties that he gave, he really wasn't. He was really favouring um, the defending team as far as the amount of time he was going to you know 
leave a holding call go. And yet when they ran out in the second half, that seemed to kind of, the pace of that seemed to change to me. Um, I don't know, have you had a chance to go through and have a look? How did, what did you walk away with as far as his interpretations? I, I was happy with all of them. Mm. The, the, I thought the difference there was that in that first 20 minutes when the Wallabies were getting penalised, that's just because our back row wasn't getting in there. Mm. And I thought that changed. And I'd certainly in the second half, as the Lions forwards tired, we were actually getting more you know, numbers in earlier to the mm. breakdown. And so we were starting to get favoured. I mean, there were, there were a couple of things like right on half time, that penalty that the Wallabies gave away, mm-hmm. that Ben Moen gave away. Mm-hmm. He knew what was going on there. It was half time. We were in all sorts of trouble. He gave that penalty away. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no way he released. He, he made the tackle, didn't release, didn't have a clear release. Um, you know, if he'd released, he was entitled to play the ball. But I think that was more, well, we, we can afford to give away a penalty, you know, and we know the Brumbies give away lots of penalties when they need to. Well, I was going to say, what about the final penalty of the whole match, though? Which well, I think I, was Moen again, wasn't it? It was. Well, and, it was, no, it was Robinson that got penalised, but he could have got Moen just as easily. Uh, so I, and again, I, Robinson I didn't was, release there. Yeah, no, I thought that was, boys, we're on this side of the halfway. <laughs> if we're going to give a penalty, this is it. Well, uh, look, we're sure when we look at the number of penalties the Brumbies are giving away that that can't be a coincidence that they're so heavily penalised. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a tactic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and, and, you know, I know that the best New Zealand teams... Um, uh, do it as well, so I think that's uh, definitely been a. Dis- but yeah, when when that when that penalty blew up and um, and kind of Moen came out of there, and you say Robinson as well, I just thought no, that to me, um, uh, you know, they had some thinking written all over it. Um, yeah. So we no talk- doubt and all credit to them for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because you knew that was his limit, right? So he'd he'd had hit one hit the crossbar at forty eight meters, and this one was um, kind of further out. Um, so I was just trying to think, uh, okay, so that's pretty much uh, the players. Um, we've talked about well, what that, Just in terms of that breakdown leads on to you know, probably another point that mm. I wanted to talk about was if you think in the first half, the Wallabies' defence of the driving mall from the line-out, that's two weeks in a row it's been pretty poor and they've mm. actually resorted to pulling it down. This week they got warned you know, the second time for doing it when Parlo had gone in and, and tackled someone or tackled... Uh, one of the guys, you know, inside the mall. And then we had, you know, what I thought was fantastically positive. We had the captaincy of Warburton where, with the Wallabies warned that if you do it again, there's a yellow card, we ha- they had a penalty and he chose not to go for a line-out. He chose to take the three points. I thought he could have driven oh. a dagger into the Wallabies there by either exactly getting the Wallabies, you know, to infringe again in a yellow card or getting a try because they couldn't infringe. And then you compare that to later in the match with Horwell, you know, when he makes the decision to take the scrum rather than the three points. Mm-hmm. You know, it showed, I thought, a more positive intent from the Wallabies or from their captain compared to Warburton when he... I thought that was negative. I thought they had the Wallabies on toast if they'd gone for another line-out. Oh, I'd go beyond that. I'd say it was dumb. I, I, I couldn't believe it when he, when he didn't go for that. Um, it was like, why else did you do the second... Why else did they? Why did they kick to the corner for the second go, if you weren't going to go for the third? Absolutely. Um, you know, I I was absolutely mystified, and I would have thought as Lions supporters you'd be um, you'd be going spare about that one. And you're right, yeah, big call from Horwell, and because it didn't come off straight away, um, it worked out well in the end, though, obviously. Um, yeah, but look, a part of that is you know you don't have to get the payback 
immediately, mm. it, but it, it keeps the pressure on. Yeah. I mean, the Lions are then sitting there saying, oh, you know, gee, we thought he'd kick for goal. Now we've got a front up to a scrum. And, yeah, the, the inside ball to Izzy didn't work, but still pinned them down in their, their 22. And, you know, they then got the ball back from the line out and, and just kept coming at them. So I think that was part of reading what was going on in the game. You could look across and see so many Lions forwards walking into position that why give them a rest by giving them a, a shot at goal? Yeah. Why not keep running them off their feet and, you know, having them defend in their own 22? Yeah. Well, it's been interesting. I saw some interpretation of that as well. Apparently, if you watch the footage, there's a call, you know, how much it was Hallwell and how much it was Will Genya, actually. Because apparently he's walking back with the ball just saying scrum, scrum, scrum. Um, okay. I, I, I haven't noticed that, but that's what yeah. happens at the Reds. Every yeah. time Hallwell goes to make a decision, he's got Will going, no, no, scrum, scrum, yeah. line out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that might have happened again there, actually. Um, but, you know, so just talking about the overall kind of where that leaves everything, I mean, we'll no doubt do another podcast later in the week, maybe with a guest, uh, you know, especially if we get an idea of the teams. But, you know, what that now means going into this third test, A, thank God, thank God it's a, we've got a decider and it wasn't going to be a dead rubber. Um, that, that's, that's great news, especially as I've got tickets. So that's even better news. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I got asked, I did a, some, a Google Hangout with some guys at ESPN before the first test. And if you remember there, there was this story about um, Jake White saying, whoever wins the first test is going to win the series, da-da-da. And I could kind of see the thinking, obviously. I guess there's an idea that, you know, in probabilities, if you've got one test under your belt, and if, what's his name's kick had gone over yes, um, on Saturday night, uh, Halfpenny's kick had gone over, then obviously that's the game. But I couldn't help but feel, you know, as history had shown us in 2001, I, I kind of feel... If you've won that second test and it goes into a decider, you've got the momentum with you. And, you know, you look at these two tests and I can't help but feel the Wallabies would say, we, we kind of feel we came away with, you know, a better of uh, definitely, you know, two of those tests. And towards the end of that second test, I mean, the momentum was all the Wallabies way and they carry that into the third test now, don't they? How telling do you think that is? I agree. I think the Wallabies have got all the momentum. But there are a couple of things that I'm worried about that may change the momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if we had to play a test match today, I say the Wallabies win and, and probably win quite well. Mm. Um, but tonight we find out whether or not we've got our captain. Mm. And I think that's a massive, massive thing. If we lose James Horwell, I think that really dents the Wallabies. Mm. The, the other things that I think really dent them, because we'll talk about that one no doubt in a, in a minute, um, I think the Lions have to have somebody to give them go forward. Mm-hmm. That's either going to be Jamie Roberts, which I'm sure would be the choice because they'd put Roberts at 12, or Tuolagi. Mm. One of those two guys they bring into their centres, I think that changes their whole game because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've got somebody who actually is a threat in midfield. Mm-hmm. And then once they go forward, they're not playing behind the game line. I think that starts to suit their game. So I, that's a concern. I think Warburton played really well on the weekend, but it looks like he'll be out with that hamstring. You bring Sean O'Brien in, and I don't think that's good for the Wallabies because mm-hmm. he's you know a bit of a ruck monster and carries the ball really well and, and always seems to play well against Australia. Yep. Um, so I think that could be a problem. Or they could start with Tipperick at seven, and you know he'll play the breakdown game. But I think it'll be O'Brien. They'll want a bit of punch. So I think that's a negative. And I think Corbuzero will come back in at loose head, and I think that's going to change the scrum mix quite significantly, actually. So, I mean, I think there's those four things. And if we lose Hall, 
I think all four of them count for the Lions. Mm. Well, I don't see any, any positive for us unless we bring George Smith in. Because <laughs> I reckon that would be a positive for the Wallabies. I think that would help us control the breakdown. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... Um... One of the thing about Ho- one of the things about Hooper's game, and I guess this goes to your measurement about effectiveness, uh, is he's just. And we've talked about this. He's just not. He just doesn't have that strength over the ball, does he? Um, no. If, no. You know, either you know when he's uh, jackling or when he's you know trying to protect uh, a breakdown um, in, in, in attack, he just doesn't. I mean, and we all know how many times have we watched George Smith just seem to be just absolutely a, a limpet, um, you know, on any ruck, and and that's the bit we were missing, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, Hooper just runs and runs and runs, and he's always there. A lot of the times he's getting there, and he's, he's too late to do anything because there are already players in the ruck. Mm. His go is if he can get there first. He's, you know, he's very agile, um, very flexible to get down and get to the ball. But once there are players in, he can't move them. He can't stay on the ball. Mm. And, and as you say, that's where we lose something. So... I think if if O'Brien starts for the Lions, that's actually going to tip the balance at the breakdown to them, and that's not what the Wallabies need. But do you? Can you see? I guess this is a loaded question because I can't. Um, Dean's making that change now, though. In bringing in um, Smith to start. Ah, uh, I'm torn on that one. I mean, everything you say, everything I think about what Dean does says no. Yeah. But, you know, we know that George Smith was really high up uh, in his thinking. Mm. And I'm sure he's looking at that breakdown, or they're all looking at the breakdown and saying, particularly with Warburton going out, you know, we could have to counter this somehow. So maybe maybe he's just on the bench. But he does that. I mean, because, you know, Dean's has got that incumbency, incumbency thing, doesn't he? Which is, you know, once you're in, it's got to take, you know, an act of God to get you out. Um, and I can't help yeah. but feel that's kind of where Hooper is at the moment. Well, you know, the, you know, the other reason that may tip him, mm. if we lose Hall's leadership, be fantastic to have George Smith's leadership in there oh, in sure. the forward pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That may be something that he looks at and says, "I've got to bolster, you know, some of these other guys with a real leader, mm. someone they'll follow." Mm. Yep, I would go with you on that. So let's talk about that horrible thing a little bit more, though, where, I mean, it's a case of double jeopardy, isn't it? I mean, the guy's been cleared by a, a judiciary officer, who I assume is was IRB sanctioned. IRB sanctioned, independent. He's not an Australian. Mm-hmm. He's a New Zealander. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still hold that I don't know how he got away with it in the first place. Mm-hmm. I know you can't prove intent. I'm not saying it was an intentional thing at all. But he, he trampled on the guy's head, mm. and I think the head has to be protected in rugby. So, I mean, I thought he should have got a week when it was first heard. But having been found not guilty of it, mm. for the IRB to then say, our own judicial officer, we don't like the decision, so we're going to appeal it. Yeah. It, that just, I find that incredible. Well, it just says, what how, how many times are you going to open it up until you get the answer you want? Yeah, well, so they've got the right of appeal. Hall doesn't. Right. But... I see they've appointed a new lawyer uh, for Horwell. What I'm hoping is that there's some smart legal brain is able to argue that basically it is double jeopardy. Mm. You can't do this twice. Mm. It was the requirements in, in the rules, and I haven't read them, not trying to interpret them, but I imagine they say it's got to be an independent hearing by an IRB person. Um, 
etc., etc., and that maybe you can get off on some legality. Mm. Someone's clever enough to find the words because I think if he doesn't get off on that, I think the IRB are pretty clear, aren't they, that they think he was guilty mm. or sorry. Whether it, maybe not guilty, they think he deserved some suspension or some penalty. Mm. Well, I'll talk about but, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's unprecedented, though, isn't it? So, I mean, obviously we had Adam Thompson, uh, but he had been found guilty, and all they did was restructure the length of his ban. Yeah. Um, you know, this is overturning, uh, you know, a verdict and uh, retrying. So it was so funny, all the Kiwi journos were saying, um, you know, what about Adam Thompson? It was like, well, no, mate, completely different, you know, a kettle of fish. It is. Uh, As you say, and they've never done it before. They only changed the laws last year, apparently, or the regulations, that the IRB could appeal even a sentence. Oh, right. Before that, they didn't even have the right. Mm. You know, as long as it was an independent um, officer and it was structured the way it was meant to be structured, that was that. Crazy. So they changed it. The first time they did anything was Adam Thompson, as mm. you say, sentence length only. This is the first, and this is only the second time they've used the power to appeal, but first time they've used it to actually try and overturn a decision. So I guess we know. I guess we well we can guess. I think who would be captain would be Will Genier. I would I would assume. Yeah, it would have to be. Mm. Um, well, and I think he, like we were talking about earlier on, I think he has a a lot of input anyway. So as far as decision making on the field, I don't think we'd lose a lot. But I think James is um, you know a great figure there, uh, and like I agree with you, I think that'd be a massive blow, and for this all to be of the IRB's making. I mean. And, and they've really painted themselves into a corner now because, you know, they they can't keep anyone happy here now. Um, yeah, before we... And I think they the, the kind of the Lions supporters just about got over it, you know? It was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe you should have, but at the end of the day, okay, you know, let's move on. And by reopening it now, no one's going to be happy no matter what happens. Yeah, well, I don't know whether the Lions supporters had actually got over it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so what what happens now if they... If they if he's found not guilty again, mm. what are they going to appeal again? Mm. Are they going to keep going, or can they keep going till they actually get somebody who agrees with them? Well, I mean that's 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 the nonsensical part of of it. So, and to your, I mean, which means that I mean, surely we're going to be walking out of here with no James Hall. I guess we've got to start planning for that on Saturday, unless, to your point, there's some clever argument. But um, I, I think that's kind of betting against the odds, isn't it? Yeah, and look, you know, far be it from me to say they have set this up, but. You would think if the IRB aren't happy with the decision that they're going to appoint somebody who they think will probably lean their way. Mm. Not where they would have gone to someone and said, we're appointing you, you have to find this way. But they would have had a whole bunch of people they could look at and they'd sit there and say, well, who do we appoint here? Well, we know he's lenient. We won't appoint him. We know this guy's quite tough. Let's appoint him. We'll put it this way. This person would, ha- would have to have been a Martian living under a rock. Um, to not understand which way his employers <laughs> would, <laughs> would like him to lean. Um, so, yeah, he's going to have to be one of the most impartial uh, IRB judiciary officers that, that there's ever been. Um, I don't even know. Do you know who it is? I don't even know who it is. It's a Canadian. Oh, gosh, okay. There you go. Well, they're usually nice people, aren't they? Um, yeah, we haven't done anything wrong to Canada, so... Yeah, come on. Alrighty. Uh, so, yeah, okay, we'll find out. I think that's 8 o'clock tonight. Is um, kind of went, but these all, things always drag on forever. So um, it'll probably be quite late tonight that we hear about that. Um, so uh, that's, I think that's about everything to, to be talked about today. The one thing I will say is, um, so I made uh, 
my my we as a family we went over to the uh, Wallabies Fan Day um, on Sunday, and it was great. I don't know if anyone who's listening has ever been to one, but if you've got little kids um, and they're fans of uh, the Wallabies and rugby, like my son is, um, nine year old, uh, you go along and you can, you know, get your shirts and they give out stuff that you can get signed but you know and literally the whole team sits in these tents you know broken up into groups of four or five and they just sit there signing all your stuff taking photos saying good day da, da, da. i've got to say it was really good have you been to one of those before no no i haven't well you um <laughs> my son loved rugby and you know he would love to have gone but my daughter would say dad really we've watched a game of rugby saturday do we have to <laughs> well my daughter was a bit like that until she got there and then um, once she had got given something that she could get signed as well she was kind of happy but i mean we were just reflecting my wife and i um about it you know having lived in um the uk for that long and you couldn't do anything like that um you know you couldn't get access like that and the closest thing you'd get to was you know those bloody rooftop bus tours that they used to do, you know, if the cricket team did okay or the football yep. team did okay, which obviously we never bothered. But that's as close as you'd get. Was um, there a big crowd? Um, down then? Uh, no, I mean, well, I don't know how many people. I mean, yeah, there was a few hundred. So you had to wait like, I don't know, 10 minutes, you know, in a, in a queue to get to the front of the queue and get your stuff signed. Um, but it was all very orderly. Everyone's very nice. And you just went over to the next tent and did the same thing. Um, so yeah, we were down there for, I don't know, a good half an hour, 40 minutes or something like that. I, I, the one thing I did reflect on is what would it have been like if we'd lost the night before? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, these poor guys, I mean, Sarah was saying, how could they, you know, you'd, you'd been through that. You'd probably been up late, got up, flown up from Melbourne and they put you in a bus and brought you out to sign, you know, balls and, uh, you know, shirts with kids and stuff for, you know, for a couple of hours. Um, I couldn't think of anything, you know, you would less want to do, but they're all there happily doing it. Um, anyway, it, and it made uh, one little boy's afternoon, uh, that's for sure, and um, just like they made my night the night before. Well, there's a mildly positive feeling around at the moment. Um, mm. I noticed uh, Peter Fitzsimons had sent a tweet on Sunday, or maybe it was Saturday, yeah, it must have been Sunday morning, early, saying he was out at the Qantas Club, and the Wallabies and Robbie Deans were in there, and when they walked to get on their plane, everybody stood up and clapped them. Brilliant. So, you know, <laughs> that was good. They wouldn't have felt that for a while. <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, I think, I think we can go into this with a fairly positive mind. Mm. As I say, just these few things that might happen during the week. Um, but at least, you know, at least we fought, at least we didn't roll over on the second test and mm. it was all over. Because, yeah. as you say, it wouldn't have been much of a week. Oh, no. And how close they've both been. My God. Anyway, so, yeah, it's a thriller. It's, it's lined up to be a thriller in Manila. Um, we will have pr at least another podcast out probably towards the end of the week. Um, so um, thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading. Keep an eye out for that one. Good to talk to you, mate. Thank you. And we'll... uh, oh, I, I was just going to say with your stuff, I, I, I have a feeling there's an avalanche of analysis coming our way. Would I be right? <laughs> yeah, yes, you are. They're, uh, <laughs> particularly the scrum. Oh, um, because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, 15 points came from scrum penalties last week, so that's what decided the match. Yeah. And I think it'll be the same again this week. Um, I know there's, you know, lots of consternation about Vunapola. He was doing this, he was doing that. I've had a look at that in detail, and unfortunately it's a lot of detail because yeah. to explain what was going on and what might go on, I've had to go into a fair bit of how a scrum works. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... I know you say to me sometimes, gee, there's so much in there. And so I've been trying to cut it back. I'll disappoint some people because I can't put everything in. Yeah. Um, and others will be saying, gee, there's a lot here. So yeah. 
Cut, we'll cut, see. To, cut to the chase, mate. That's what I say. Anyway, um, but I'm looking forward to because you, you gave me a synopsis of what, what went on. It's a, it's a fascinating story. So look out for that story. Good to talk to you, mate. I'll talk to you uh, later in the week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone. See you. Seven black